Hi guys, this is Paul from the Innovation Community. Today I'm here with Kirk Bourne. Kirk is one of the foremost daily literacy influencers uh, globally, I think you won't mind me saying. Great to have you with us. Great, thank you Paul. Great to be here. Uh, just for those of you who've been living in a cave, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself for people who haven't heard of you? Yeah, uh, so right now I'm a principal data scientist at uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a global technology and consulting firm. And so I've been here for about four years, uh, a little over four, uh, consulting across all kinds of different domains uh, around the uses of data for uh, data science applications, AI, machine learning, things like that. Uh, but prior to that, I spent uh, about a dozen years at, at a university as a professor. I was a professor of astrophysics, so my background is astrophysics. Uh, but I was there uh, primarily to start the world's first undergraduate data science degree program, uh, which we started about 14 years ago. And so I taught data science uh, and advised graduate students. And I got a, uh, about seven PhD students out of the process, completing PhDs under me. So I did that for 12 years. And for about 20 years before that, I was actually full-fledged astrophysicist at NASA, uh, working on a, a astronomy satellites, uh, research satellites, so the data systems for those satellites. And so I always, I always tell people my whole life was data, right? My day job was data, supporting the data systems. And my night job as an astronomer, that's a joke. <laughs> my night job as an astronomer was always working with data. So, uh, so you'd say that my career path started maybe 40 years ago with data, and it's been data science for most of the last 20 years. And that's pretty, well, you, you, I know you've been working with data for that, that time, but that's a pretty significant shift, I think, some people would say, from astrophysics to, to data. What really interests you about working in, in more data science? Well, the, uh, the domain shift is significant, but the actual what you do to day-to-day wasn't so much so. Uh, because it's always about discovery from data. Finding the pattern, finding the interesting thing in the data, finding the new thing in the data. And so as astrophysicists, that, that's what we do. We analyze data, we collect data about objects in the universe, and we try to find interesting patterns that we haven't seen before and build models of those things and so forth. And so just taking that same set of tools and skills and aptitudes and just transferring it to a broader set of applications, uh, I feel like it was a fairly smooth transition for me, uh, primarily because of two things. One, and, uh, I've always felt like what I am as a scientist. Astronomy happened to be the thing I focused on for 20 years. Uh, always a scientist and always working with data. And so those two things uh, are con- continuous throughout this whole career path. And why don't we go into some of the, the major successes you've achieved over your career, whether that was when you were an astrophysicist or, or now uh, when you're working with data science? Well, it's, uh, in all the years that I've done things, I mean, there's lots of things I could say. Uh, I think uh, just going uh, far back and then trying to ramp up forward, uh, forward as much as I can here. Uh, there were some times in, the, in my early days at NASA, we actually uh, – uh, made some interesting discoveries of some properties of galaxies. And so I actually had uh, two different instances where my uh, discoveries were uh, in the news across the world. Uh, I even received uh, re- uh, recordings of some of uh, news reports in, in other countries where they reported my discoveries. And they sent me a copy. Of course, I couldn't understand their language. <laughs> uh, someone sent me a textbook from uh, uh, from Holland, uh, where they discussed my stuff, and all I could recognize in this Dutch book was my name. <laughs> so, anyway, so uh, so some, it was some pretty exciting times of finding new things. 
Uh, as years went by, I was working for a private company managing a contract at NASA where we were actually managing the astronomy data systems for these different satellites. And this was about 20 years ago when I first discovered machine learning and uh, what we call data mining primarily and we call data science today, which is how do you apply this, these algorithms to find patterns in data and build models. And so I went to this uh, company I worked for, which was a very major uh, technology corporation in the United States. Uh, I should mention their name, but they have over 120,000 employees, a huge, huge company. And uh, I, I was able to convince the vice president and his staff uh, to create an institute for science and research around data. And so I was appointed the first director of this uh, institute, uh, which actually was sort of a turning point in, in, in the way they thought about data. And it was such a turning point for, for what I was doing uh, that less than a year after I created this institute and became its director, I was offered a job at a university. So I didn't stay there very long. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, the, so that uh, next big accomplishment for me was actually when we uh, started the world's first data science degree program in the world for undergraduates at George Mason University. And, uh, I had a lot to, I had a lot of input into that. So I guess that, I could say that was a major success for me. Uh, there was a lot of focus uh, from the rest of the faculty at that time to focus on computational science, that is computational programming for science, okay, modeling, simulation, uh, applied mathematics to build computer models. And I kept saying, no, we really need to have a data science component in this program because it's all about the data. It's all about the sensors that you collect data from anything in the universe, in the world, whatever, you know, whatever it is you work on, you're collecting some kind of data from sensors. And then if you are going to build a, com a computer model, it's based upon what you learn from those data. And so we have to have that component in there. And so we achieved that and we actually managed to pull that off. And after uh, doing that, uh, I actually received the, uh, the Dean's Impact Award for Faculty Excellence from the College of Science Dean. So that was quite a, a milestone for me personally, feeling that you know, the, the, the full faculty recognized what I had accomplished there. And then ultimately coming to Booz Allen, uh, I was uh, very tempted to stay at the university because at the time I, when Booz Allen came calling, I was a tenured full professor, which is about as high of a level as you can get in a university with professorship. And then, uh, you know, leaving that behind would be a very big, you know, a very big decision. Uh, but Booz Allen actually created a new position just for me. Uh, so even though we have over 2,000 data scientists, I am the one and only principal data scientist at Booz Allen. And just in the past year, I was uh, named the first data science fellow uh, at Booz Allen Health. So uh, it's, I really appreciate, you know, that those kind of uh, trusts they put in me uh, to represent uh, this 20 plus thousand company uh, to, you know, to our clients in the field of data science. Fantastic. And there's a plethora of different arenas that you succeeded in as well. And it's great to hear about that. But tell us about a time that you affected change in a major organization and also some of the challenges that came with that. Well, I think uh, some of the things I just named were those some of those changes already. Uh, so I can look at some of the challenges there. So, for example, when I had, uh, was at that large corporation 20 years ago trying to get them to get on board with the – we didn't call it data science in those days. Uh, we didn't have that language, big, big data, data science. Those words came around later. So I didn't know what to call it, so I called it information science, you know, using uh, data and information to create, uh, you know, discovery from data. And so I, I, I didn't know about machine learning. 
But when I took, talked to the corporate leadership of this company, the vice president and his staff, they didn't, I mean, I couldn't talk about machine learning. They didn't know what that was. So I, I, I didn't know what quite to call it. So I called it information science. And after I got through with my little pitch, uh, one of the members of the staff, the senior staff, looked at me and said, why do we need more uh, uh, printers? Why do we need to, why do we need more system administrators? And I'm thinking, well, how did you get that from what I just said? <laughs> you know? And I realized he, he did this translation in his head. When I said information science, he was hearing information technology, IT. He thought I was saying we need more IT people, <laughs> you know, more, you know, infrastructure, data, uh, you know, operations, if you will. I mean, net, network people, system administrators, printer <laughs> fix, fixers. <laughs> you know? And uh, so there was, there was definitely a language challenge there. Uh, and also this, this whole idea of, of sort of transitioning, you know, to this more data-driven decision-making was a really tough uh, call for that organization. Uh, but after uh, that little uh, presentation and, and, uh, and the, the, the challenge <laughs> that happened in that moment, uh, the, the vice president who was running the meeting uh, dismissed the meeting and he, he, he asked me to stay behind. And so he and I talked afterwards and he, he, he fully got it. He fully understood it. And he basically just looked me in the eye and said, Kirk, you have your money. And so I was like, wow, really? <laughs> so, uh, so be, be able to stick with my guns uh, and uh, stay true to what my message was uh, proved to be successful. And I think the same thing happened at the university. There was a lot of friction at the university level not understanding what data science was. Uh, a lot of people wanted to say, well, it's just statistics or it's just mathematics or it's just computer science. And the thing is it includes all of those components, but it's really a completely different thing. It's, it's really a whole new field of study, a whole new uh, field of, dis of education, a whole new discipline within organizations. And, you know, pushing against that, um, you know, sort of, of pressure not to change sort of the curriculum and the, and the core Types of course at the university to, to actually achieving success there, I thought was uh, pretty pretty amazing, and I was I was fortunate to have a lot of uh, really strong advocates, including the dean of the college, and folks like that who really understood what I was saying, and, and again sort of helped uh, me in that in that push. And so I, so now essentially not only at that university but every university in the world literally has these data science degree programs, uh, and we were the first. It's interesting to see the, uh, the historical perspective of the language of data science coupled with the actual business success of how you, how you got it past that line as, as well. Uh, just to flip in the coin a little bit, how are you currently leveraging technology to your advantage? And do you think that's going to change the landscape over the next few years of data science? And yeah, so I think uh, for me personally, I mean, just to be uh, very specific, I, I don't deal with technology on a daily basis. I mean, I, as more of an advisor and a consulting uh, the, the term my company uses is thought leader. That kind of scares me when they say that. But, uh, you know, so uh, I, I know when to step out of the way and, and let the technologists do their thing. Uh, you know, I, back in my early days at NASA, 25, 30 years ago, I, yeah, I was, I was that guy. I was, I was writing all the code, I, I, and I wrote the entire proposal entry system for the NASA Hubble Space Telescope, which every astronomer in the world used in those years. You know, so I wrote the database programs and the user interfaces and everything. Uh, that, but that was me 30 years ago. It's not me now. Uh, but I think technology uh, is, part, is always part of this data science discussion because, first of all, you've got to be able to acquire data. So there's technology there uh, to, to manage, store, transform data. So there's technology there. Being able to deliver data to end user applications or to, or to machines or to 
processes uh, that's technology so so i don't think we can actually do anything we're talking about doing without technology unless we're just talking theoretically and that's really a, that's really one of the big changes i've seen uh, when i first learned about machine learning at nasa 22 years ago i was fascinated with the mathematics i mean i love mathematics as a, as a physicist and astrophysicist I always love mathematics and i use it all the time so uh, this was a new branch of mathematics I'd never seen before, machine learning, you know, discovering patterns from data. So uh, I, went, I would go to machine learning conferences in those days, and they were all basically theoretical papers. Yeah, they had, you know, they had sample data sets, toy data sets. You know, so a big data set might have been a few hundred rows, whereas now, you know, you may have a few hundred trillion rows, right? But I, so I got a, a good education in, in this stuff. But I really didn't see any applications that were going to be useful. For it was basically people playing in a sandbox, if you want to call it. So there was a lot of good things that came out, but for the most part, I kept saying, "Well, where is the, where's the benefit here? Where, where is this going to impact anyone?" And it only started to have that big impact when two other things happened. We didn't have just cool algorithms. All of a sudden, we started having this data flood. Okay, so, the, the, so there's sort of three major components for the success of all we're doing today. One is the algorithms. Second is the ex existence of massive quantities of data to apply with these algorithms. And the third thing is the actual amazing technologies. You know, faster computing, bigger memories, cloud computing, which allows you to have essentially as much computing as you want. <laughs> and so finally, when all the technology converged with the existence of the data and the brilliance of the algorithms, then we have this amazing a transformation we see in the world today. Absolutely. And just going back to that case study uh, where you said you were pitching that company, how did you actually engage and communicate with the senior leadership team there, especially when it sounds like there was so much resistance, maybe not active resistance, but passive resistance? Yeah, I, th I, yeah, I don't want to just, I don't want to say it was so much resistance as friction. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't want to like cast it. I think they were people like adamantly against me per say it was just friction and, and a discussion because they didn't know the terminology they didn't understand the language i was using and that's why again we didn't have the words data science which is everywhere today and analytics the words we use today i mean they just didn't they just weren't used in sentences 20 years ago so people didn't know what i was talking about and so i think the um you know sort of the, res the friction uh, the resistance if you want to call it that but friction um uh, had had to be uh dealt with it in a way of, of using the right language and what I what I learned what I relearned from this as I learned in all my years as an astrophysicist you have to be a good communicator in science if people are going to follow your ideas understand your ideas you got to be a good communicator and all my years at NASA I was heavily involved with the um, the education and outreach programs of NASA I'm really a firm believer in reaching to the young people reaching any people all people anyone in the general public but certainly I might my, my my love and passion was going into classrooms and talking uh, to young people about uh, science and discovery and things like this. And they were, they were extremely open to it. And I, I got a lot of energy personally out of that. So learning the communication skills to communicate with people who don't know your language is part of the package that comes with being a scientist. So I was able to take that same sort of aptitude for explaining things to people to those corporate boardrooms and explain it in words that made sense to them. And all of those words, had to do with well, how does this differentiate our business? How does this affect the bottom line? What is it going to cost us? What are the business opportunities if we do this? So understanding what their language was and being able to translate what I was interested in into their language uh, really helped, helped win the day. 
And last question for the main body. What was the biggest mistake you made during your career? Ah, oh, well, <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure I can, can or want to name a big mistake, uh, but, but I can talk about a little bit of, of, of sort of personal victories that I had to overcome, or personal challenges I had to overcome. One of those was fear of public speaking. Uh, people who know me know that I do a lot of public speaking and uh, I get invited to lots of conferences as the keynote speaker. And those who hear me appreciate what I say and, and they would, they'd be shocked to know that I used to be a terrible public speaker and terribly afraid of it. And, uh, so my biggest mistake was, was, uh, was being too, uh, self, uh, I don't know, self-conscious, I guess, in front of people. Uh, I didn't push my ideas that I thought were really good ideas. And, and many years later, all of a sudden, scientists were talking about the stuff I talked about years earlier. And I wasn't really getting any credit for them having those ideas originally because I wasn't uh, outspoken enough, or not even like in a forceful way, but just in a self-confident way. Uh, but where I got, how I got over that hurdle was one day a, a colleague of mine who noticed this, you know, sort of my, my self-consciousness and fear of, of speaking in front of a group. He said to me, pulled me aside after my talk and he said, Kirk, can I tell you something? He said, you'd be surprised at how little other people think about you. And it's just like, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I mean, it's just like, I'm worrying about, they're going to go home and think about all the ways I miss said, misspoke and said something wrong. And it's like, no, no one's doing that. Nobody's doing that. I'm not doing that when I hear someone speak. And I it just, the fear just I mean, he immediately just dropped away because I realized it's, it's not the message. It's not about me. So if I say something wrong, well, I, I, you know, I can fix it. That's not the problem. As long as I get the right message. So, that's, so that was one big mistake. And I guess I'll just mention just one more, and that is being a perfectionist. Uh, and, I, and I encountered this uh, on a NASA project I was working on. And, and, and I, was doing a, I was doing a job transition, actually. I was working with the Hubble Space Telescope for 10 years as the dark, uh, data archive project scientist for NASA. And then I got this job offer to become a manager on, on the NASA astronomy data systems for NASA with that private company I mentioned earlier. And so it was a big transition going from an academic research institute to a, to a public company uh, from doing basically scientific uh, software development and scientific research to being a manager of a bunch of people. So I was trying to finish up this big project and I was just not getting it done. I was just not getting it done. It, it had to be perfect. I, I was writing this report, 300 page report, 200 page report, whatever it was, hundreds of page report to summarize all the work I had done in the previous years about the, the, the verification and validation of this big, huge data archive for the Hubble Space Telescope. And I wrote about every single one of the hundreds of different validation tests that we ran and what the results were and what the data we used. And it was just not converging. It was just not getting done. And so my uh, boss's boss's boss, if I got it, I was that far up the chain. This, she called me in one day. She, she was very, not one of those great big advocates for me in my career. And I very appreciate what she did. Uh, she called me in to talk about my job transition. The fact that I would be leaving the Hubble after all these years and thanking me for my work and talking about that report. That was my last assignment. And again, she said one of these things to me that, you know, that like that other person said to me that it, it, she only, she said it in a way that it meant, it meant everything to me and, and wouldn't mean the same thing to some other person if she said it to some other person. And what she said was, she said, Kirk, I'm going to tell you something that, no, that I would not tell any, any other person. 
I said, I said, oh boy, here it comes. You know, I said, she said, I wouldn't say this to anybody else because they wouldn't understand it, but you'll understand it. And she said, any job worth doing is worth doing poorly. Hmm. And I thought about that. Any job worth doing is worth doing poorly. And that's so that's opposite to what you normally hear, right? Any job worth doing is worth doing well. Well, what she was saying was, I know you, Kirk, you're trying to get 100.0% everything into this document that you ever did. And that's just not necessary. If you get 98%, that's good enough. I mean, not, for me, 98% was poor job. It was not perfect. See, so for me, a poor job was anything less than 100.0%. And she gave me the freedom to stop when I reached sort of like 98% of what I thought I needed to put into that report. And I turned that report in and it was perfectly fine. It was perfectly acceptable. There was never a problem with it. And I think what sort of confirmed that to me many years later, I was actually in a NASA senior official's office once, I mean, many years later, long after that project was over, long after I left that job. And we were, I was sitting in this guy's office talking with him and I noticed on the shelf, he had a copy of my report bound in a volume that, I had never, that someone had bound and, and given to him as, as, as sort of a classic a case study in how to uh, verify and va validate a science data system for a space satellite mission. And it's like, wow, <laughs> okay, that was interesting. So getting over that sort of, those sort of those self limiters, those self uh, limiting factors in my career uh, helped me to, uh, to, to get beyond that into where I am today. And last question, what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data science? Well, for one thing, I always tell people a couple of things. One is to remember that data science is about two things, the data and the science. <laughs> so it sounds like a joke, but, but it's really not because uh, it, it's data are, is really the objective evidence, the objective truth by which we're learning stuff, right? It's the data. It's all about the data. And science is the process by which we test and validate and verify our hypotheses. And our hypotheses are often wrong. And so we have to allow ourselves to fail. And so we, so we do experimentation to improve and validate. So to be successful, you have to really appreciate both the data and that scientific process. And I, gotta call it, I basically say it's the, it's the learn, fail fast to learn fast methodology, right? So science is about testing hypothesis, figuring out where it's wrong, refine it, test again, try again, try again. So that's, that's the one thing, piece of advice. And this, the other one I always give people is to follow your passion. And what I mean by that is data science and data analytics is now integral to just about everything you do on earth, right? No matter what kind of job it is, whatever you love, whether it's sports or music or technology or medicine or manufacturing or whatever it is. I mean, just astronomy, it doesn't matter what it is. There's a data analytics, data science, AI, machine learning angle to it. So do what you love doing. Don't just go into data science because, oh, it was going to be a big paycheck or something like that. I've talked with students. Oh, they want to, I want to get the big salary. And I said, no, if, you're going to, if, you want to be, if you want to have a happy, long career, do what you love doing. Follow that passion. And you, and you can do data science in any profession at all. So follow that passion first. And, and, and to borrow what someone else once said, it's not me saying this, someone else once said, if you do what you love, then you'll love, you know, you'll never feel like you're going to work, right? Do what you love, and then you love, then you'll love what you do. And that's that's really where you got to focus. Is like what what is it that gets me up every morning? Gets me excited. And for me, 
at this point in my life, my passion is, is educating people about stuff, communicating this. So I'm very active on social media. People know me from Twitter and stuff like that. And uh, for me, that's my micro education platform. I'm, I'm following my dream of communicating and teaching people. And now I'm teaching the world uh, about this stuff that I love. Great. Follow your passion. Wise words there from Kirk Bourne, Global Data and Influencer. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. It was really great. Thank you.